fellow kids, and welcome to episode 12 of Hello Fellow Kids. This month we read The Girl Who Drank the Moon by Kelly Barnhill. Kelly? Kelly Barnhill. Yeah. Okay. I thought you were saying Kelly like you wanted her to chime in like, yes, I wrote that. <laughs> we have Kelly Barnhill here today. <laughs> Hello! <laughs> Did you like my talk? <laughs> I think it just said the fact she's from Minnesota. Oh, okay. Were you waiting for me to do a Minnesota <laughs> accent? I don't think I can. <laughs> now I'm on the spot. <laughs> and Did I... you like my book? <laughs> <laughs> All right. First impression, what'd you think? I really, really liked it. And I thought like, okay, this is a solid four star book. But then like the more I thought about it, I'm like, maybe this is more like a five. So I kind of oscillated between the two. So I think I'll wait until the end of our discussion and see where I fall. But that's where I'm at, like a four and a half right now. That's actually right about where I am. I put it down as a four initially, but the same thing happened with the thing about jellyfish, where I think it's because this has so many themes and symbols that mm-hmm. keep recurring and stuff that the discussion of it will really kind of sway me into a more solid stance. And it like made me tear up a few times. So I was like, this is a pretty good book. <laughs> <laughs> good. So Yeah, no, it's really cool. It's very, uh, it's got... A really good classic folktale feel to it right. a lot of the time. And it's just so beautifully and skillfully written. It felt like it felt like a Holly Black book, honestly. And yeah. I was just all like, it's like our girl Holly wrote this. <laughs> but I, I don't know, like some of the themes about family mm-hmm. I really enjoyed. And I never really had a moment of like, what are you what are you doing with this? Right. And like the villains were really great because no one was like this two-dimensional, like pathetic figure mm-hmm. of like, you know, like this is lazy writing. Like, no, there was no I was never like, this is lazy at any point. Right. And everything ties together. Mm-hmm. So you're just like when you like figure out who the like the nameless storyteller has been through the whole book, you're just like, oh my god. It's everything that you would want from a book. Because we've read, we've read quite a few duds through uh, this project. Some here. are dudlier than others. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move my Lisa Frank notebook so we can look at our pile of books that we've read. It, it, it didn't fall heavily into, like, predictable tropes. Mm-hmm. Just, that's kind of where, where I came, came at it from. Yeah. And plus, I was really engaged with it. And yeah. we just had to spend, like... <laughs> nearly 20 minutes of me finishing the synopsis because last night I kind of gave up writing the synopsis just because I wanted to read the book and yeah. I quit stopping and like writing down what I just read. Uh, I think I mentioned this would have been way back in like Fablehaven I think I talked about how especially with fantasy I like books that start small and expand from there instead of front loading you with information yes. and then you either really dig it or you're just totally turned off. This one like, I wrote a diagram of the book. It is almost like a bow tie. A lot of books will reveal backstory as you go right, on. That's right. natural. Yeah. But I have not read a book in a long time where it is so fundamental to the story to go both forwards and backwards at the exact same time. Yeah. So much of it is being uh, revealed in both directions the whole way through. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. It, like I said, skillfully written like i'm just picturing her with like her like writing notebook with like post-its all over it (laughs) for keeping everything together it was i was just so well done and this could have easily completely collapsed oh yeah this could have fumbled really badly but she handled it Mm -hmm. well i wouldn't be surprised if like she'd taken like writing classes or something because it's just how good how good she was so Go you, Kelly Barnhill. I've, like, never heard of you before. And I just saw this book. Like, the reason I picked this book was that uh, Josh wanted to pick up, like, more more recent publications. Yeah. 
And I was like, okay, well, here's something that was published in, what was it, 2016, 2016. 2017? Uh, Do you want to get going? Um, Do we have anything else to... Oh, about two-thirds of the way through the book, I wrote, this better not have a sequel, because that was the other way that this would could could have totally, like, crashed and burned as if it was somehow setting up for, like, a big bat or some sort of epic quest. This needs to just stand as its own unit. That was really important for the story. I feel like maybe it could, but it'd be more like... Not a sequel so it would much. Be it'd in be the like same a standalone. World. Yes, a standalone book in the same universe. I would. I would be interested just to see what like the Star Children end up doing. Yeah, you know something like that. Yeah, I'd be okay with her revisiting this universe for something like that. Yeah, but otherwise, this story's finished. Mm-hmm. It, it was beautifully done. It doesn't need anything else. It's great. That is one of the biggest things for pretty much any art is know when it's done. Right. And just be like, that's it. That is what I'm putting forward. I just read... Oh boy. Who are we going to bad mouth? <laughs> so I read a handful of manga and I just finished reading the Bleach manga. It's 74 books long. Mm-hmm, I've heard of it. It should have stopped in the mid-20s. Yeah, I heard that's a lot of filler. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> All right, are we ready to go get into The Girl Who Drank the Moon? Absolutely. Oh, didn't this win an award? We I don't have the dust. Jo- Wait, yes, yes you I do. do. I do. This I do. is like friggin' Newberry. I see why it did. Yeah, this is a um, Newberry Medal winning book. It is a Newberry Award winning book that That's has nothing. Exactly, it has nothing to do with animals dying. It has nothing to do with really War. vague themes that are like you, you're you're gonna understand this way more when you're older, and then you read it when you're older, and you're like, no, they just didn't bother to go into it all the way, and then you <laughs> thought that that was profound. This one is pretty clear about what everything is supposed to stand for. But that doesn't take away from the, you know, how poignant it is. Okay, so let's get into this. Okay, so uh, chapter one. A nameless mother reassures her child about a local witch. Uh, The very next day is the day of sacrifice, and understandably the child's got a few concerns. But hey, never fear, sweet child of mine. The swamp witch only wants little tiny babies, and you're way too old. The child asks if anyone from their own family was ever taken, and yeah, there was. A little boy. Nobody fought for him because everyone just lets the witch do what she wants. They pay just one kid in order to save everyone's lives. And with these comforting thoughts, the mother orders the little wuss to sleep. (laughs) Okay, chapter two. I'm already laughing at your face. Okay, chapter two. It's the day of sacrifice, and Grand Elder Gerland is dolling himself up for the big event, putting on makeup and preening, proud that he's special. And also, he has the only mirror in town. What town, you ask? Why, the Protectorate, a.k.a. Cattail Kingdom, a.k.a. the City of Sorrows. It's located between a big scary forest and a big scary bog. There's one road out of the place cutting through the forest. The elders own it as they own everything else, and uh, they and their families uh, live prosperous, healthy lives while all the other poor souls in this shithole eat bog broth. Um, We're interrupted during this villain's smug musings by his 13-year-old nephew, Antane, who uh, lets Gerland know that the other elders are ready to get this show on the road. Gerland, in equal parts, loves and is exasperated by his nephew, who is clever and compassionate, two traits that don't make for a good elder. Uh, Too bad he's in training to be one. (laughs) Haha, whoops. So off the elders go to the house of this year's witch sacrifice. Usually these things go off without a hitch, but they're not even at the house yet, and they hear the mother screaming. A knock on the door reveals a badly battered husband and a woman literally climbing the rafters while clutching her baby. Both mother and baby have a crescent moon birthmark on their foreheads. This is probably important later, so we'll put a pin in it. (laughs) 
the, the first of many. Right? Yeah, there's so many pins in this. It looks like that, like crazy, like strings attached to it, and like. It's connected to this and that. Why does your book like it went through acupuncture? The mother refuses to part with her child, and Gerland fakes being a reasonable, kindly old man until he gets bored of it. Then he orders a unit of soldiers provided by the Sisters of the Star to take the child and lock this clearly deranged woman in the tower. They do so with a ruthless efficiency comparable to the Spanish Inquisition. Uh, Once Gerland has the baby, she pees on him, so guess who my favorite character is? (laughs) Okay, the group heads to the bog and they drop off the baby. When they start to leave, Antane wants to know why they aren't waiting for the witch. Shouldn't they make sure the witch gets the baby and not a wild animal? Shut up, Antane, with your earth logic. They leave because the elders don't believe in a witch. It's a story to keep the people suppressed and compliant, to ensure that the elders keep their power. But if that was true, this would be a much shorter book. (laughs) Chapter 3. Little girl gets eaten by lion. The The end. end. Oh, that sure showed me. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so deep and everything ties together. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, chapter three. The lion. No, I'm kidding. Um, And so we meet the witch. Her name is Zan, and she's an adorable old lady who wears flowers in her hair and lives in the center of the forest in a small swamp with a monster named Glurk and a perfectly tiny dragon named Firion. She tries to make Glurk and Firion get along, and she also collects babies from the bog. She has no idea why these people keep leaving babies there, but she always makes sure to collect them quickly and then takes them to the free cities on the other side of the road. The people in the free cities are always stoked to see her and what they call the star children, because Zan feeds the baby starlight. This makes the baby shiny and pretty, and they're considered a blessing. Zan carefully selects a family for every star child, so they're a perfect match, and every child grows up to be a prosperous and all-around good person. So, Zan collects the latest baby from the swamp, and she's immediately drawn to this particular child. Zan's always looking at her and telling her stories. The usually three-day trip to the free cities takes much longer, and one night, Zan's so distracted, she feeds the baby moonlight rather than starlight, which enmagics the baby. Oopsie poopsie. Zan names the magical baby Luna and decides to raise her herself because magical children are difficult. How difficult? Pretty difficult. Like, like difficult, difficult, lemon difficult? Yes. In fact, I got the lemon. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, chapter four. Uh, the nameless mother is talking to her child again, who wants to know what the witch does with the babies. She repeats gossip ranging from cannibalism to slavery, but admits she doesn't think any of this is true. See, she dreams of her own lost boy, now 18 or 19, who's beautiful with stars in his eyes. But that's just a dream, right? Oh, wait, no, let's do this. Okay, let's do five. Um... Uh, back in the sw- witch's swamp, everyone adjusts to the new baby. Zan and Luna are perfectly happy with one another, but uh, Glurk disapproves of the magical baby. Firion sings about loving babies, but eventually gets over it once he becomes bored. Uh, one day, Glurk takes Luna for a walk while reciting poetry, and she sticks her finger up his nose and says his name. Just like Daddy loves her. The baby gets older, and her magic gets bigger and stronger inside of her, but she hasn't manifested yet. But they can all sense it. Is there a Josh in this book? Yeah, he's Antane. There's a Mara in this book. It's Firion. <laughs> Singing all the time in, like, very easily hurt feelings. <laughs> so, yeah. Chapter one. I love the voice of the narrator so much. So sassy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes, there's right. a witch in the woods. There's always been a Which, would you stop your fidgeting for once? My stars, I've never seen such a fidgety child. (laughs) 
<laughs> Enough questions off with you, fool child. I know. So sassy. Love it. Sassy. Every year, the youngest child in the city yep. is taken out to the woods and left to die. And at this point, we don't exactly know why. We just know that it's been going on for quite a while. And and it's discouraged to question it. Just do it. Yes. A little Hunger Gamesy. Yes. <laughs> Did you ever read uh, Magic, M-A-G-Y-K? Oh, that's serious. No. I know what you're talking about, though. I read the first two. Okay. And it has a similar, there's a witch that lives in the woods that takes care of a magic girl, and then there's like a city, and, but it's not good. Just not at all. Okay. Um, so this is like what magic should have should been. Should have been. Very much so. I was very pleased <laughs> with the direction this took instead. <laughs> So, page 26 is when she first drinks, or, uh, yeah, drinks the moonlight. And just wrote, all right, she drank the moon, roll credits. (laughs) (laughs) It's the title of the book. (laughs) Uh, I drew a little Glurk, because Glurk is described as having uh, four arms and then legs and then a really, really thick, long tail that wraps, the author says it wraps like a snail's tail or shell at one point. Okay. Um... But then it says something about, like, wrapping around him, so maybe he just, like, cocoons up in his big tail. I just could not visualize him, so I was just like, okay, Glurk. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Glurk's a Glurk. <laughs> Glurk's a Glurk. I don't, I don't get it. Okay. Uh, I mostly just didn't get him at all, but that's mostly my issue rather than the author's. Uh... I think that if there's one real negative about this book, I think that she might have tried to reach a little bit too far into the big themes, and that mostly ties with Glurk, because it's the okay. he, Glurk, yeah, he's the theme. bog, the poet, the and it's like all... We'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Glurk, because he starts doing it already, he references the poet with, like, capital P poet, right. and that's... It's almost... He, he says it almost like scripture. Yes. Um, and that is his way of explaining so many things. Uh, but there is a little bit more to that, which we'll get into later. So at this point in the story, I wasn't sure where it was going to go. And I didn't, I kind of was bummed that she was named Luna because I was so like, okay, she drank the moon. She's named Luna. But then when I saw how very folktale it was, I was like, that makes perfect sense. Doing that kind of symbolic, obvious naming works really well in that tone. Serena could have been a possible name as well. That means the same kind of thing. Does it? Mm Mm-hmm. T-I-L. So, uh, back in the depressing Bog City, things aren't going so hot for Antane. He's still only an elder in training, and the other elders aren't happy with anything he does. Uh, his mom's crabbing at him for not progressing at a faster pace. And the girl he liked left school to join the Sisters of the Star, so he doesn't even see her anymore. And he's haunted by the baby they left in the swamp, and the devastated mother still locked in the tower. It's been five years, and he's made a point to miss the Day of Sacrifice each year. The next one is coming up. Uh, his uncle, Elder Gerland, pulls him aside and tells him that he knows Antane's been skipping the sacrifice every year. Uh, though his uncle loves him, the other elders are getting pissed with Antane, and Gerland's not going to be able to protect him. Antane doesn't heed the warning and misses the day of sacrifice due to the barfies. ruh <laughs> So, uh, chapter seven. Luna's five now. Her magic finally manifests. She and Zan are in the free cities where Zan helps heal people. When Luna starts running around turning bread dough into a hat, a barn into gingerbread, and so on. Zan undoes everything and is so worried that Luna will hurt herself or others that she makes Luna fall asleep. And that was like a big deal for Zan because she's never interfered in the, with the will of anyone ever with her magic. 
but she does in this case because seriously she's gonna hurt somebody she's also worried because her magic's depleting faster and it's regenerating slower than it ever has before also her memory's getting worse and she has a feeling that she's forgotten something scary that she's supposed to remember Chapter 8, uh, <laughs> the nameless mother and child from the horrible bog town are back with another depressing story. This time she entertains us with an origin tale. Back in the day, there was a castle in the middle of the forest where good witches and wizards lived. They'd give people helpful spells and all was gravy until the witch showed up with her dragon and stirred up the forest and bog, making everything dangerous and toxic as we know it today. One wizard stood up and stopped the dragon but was killed by the witch. The moral of the story is bravery only gets you dead. Just let the witch do her thing. Uh, that, that part of like the moral of the story, like bravery only gets you dead, reminds me of this line in the movie Serenity, where the, you know they're doing the, like the bank heist, and like this guy starts to get up, and then like and then one of the characters walks over to him and goes, "You want to know the definition of a hero is?" And he looks at her and she goes, "Someone who gets a lot of other people killed." <laughs> okay, so uh, chapter nine. The whole way home, Luna enchants things, and Zan has to undo them, and she's getting weaker and weaker. Uh, Zan remembers her old garden. Garden. Guardian! I had to see garden. <laughs> Gardens of the galaxy. Gar- <laughs> Atlas! <laughs> I am Groot! I am Groot! <laughs> he doesn't okay. notice that he's in a different movie. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, Rocket could see too. It's tearing down like corn stalks. No! <laughs> That's a callback to an earlier episode. I won't tell you which one. You'll have to look for it. Anyway, Zan remembers her old guardian, the wizard Zosimos, and how Zan had become enmagicked at the age of 10. Luna's five and really difficult to teach. One day, Luna turned clerk into a bunny, but had no idea how it happened. Zan is uh, aging at a fast clip, and her magic is getting weaker. Turns out, uh, Luna is absorbing her magic. Luna's so clueless and dangerously powerful that Zan puts her to sleep and inside of a stasis bubble. Zan decides to go to the old castle, even though nothing's there now, in an effort to jog her memory for all the things she's forgotten, including Zosimos' warning. So, chapter 10, Zan goes to the side of the castle and finds rubble. It makes her sad, and she finds a stone that Zosimos had carved. On one side, it said, don't forget. On the other side, I mean it. She's irritated by the vague message and presses her forehead to the stone, overwhelmed by the loss of her old mentor, when, boom, she's hit with a surge of magic. The stone had been enmagicked and opened wide to steps, uh, stone steps going downward. Suddenly, Zan remembers what she's forgotten. When she was 13, the volcano had erupted, and everyone in the castle had run for their lives. Zan had put protection spells on all but one of the people there. Uh, Zosimos told her to be careful of her sorrow because it's dangerous and warns her of a mysterious her who's still roaming around, apparently. Then Zosimos and Furion's mother, the simply enormous dragon, went down into the mountain and stopped the volcano from erupting. Confused by why these memories had been kept from her, Zan walks into the stone. I have a tendency when I read books and watch movies to to shut off the part of my brain that it wants to work too far ahead and guess exactly what's going to happen because... I'm either going to guess it right and usually just am kind of bummed that there's no more surprise or more often than not, I guess it wrong. And then it's like, well, no, whatever. But I did try and turn it on for this one because I really wanted to be proven right at least once in my life with that sort of thing. (laughs) It didn't happen at all, but I did. I wrote in here, Zan had been the bad witch 
this is prior to learning about the mysterious her, so it was just right when she was... Right. Uh, I thought that Xan had been the bad witch, and Glurk had somehow uh, turned her good and was, like, holding her that way, and that's why they had to stay together. Um, and that Firion had actually been the giant dragon, and that was a reduction of his power as well. Then it was, like, immediately undone by the fact that there, that it's, like, explicitly, no, you were a ten, and also there was this mysterious her. But I was like, it's gonna be, it's gonna be that she was that the whole time, and then she wasn't. Maybe that was, like, a possibility that the author considered. <laughs> you know, because uh, I know when I write stuff, I was like, okay. And then sometimes I write a thing, and I'm like, wonder where I'm going to go with that. That's interesting. Right? Put a pin in it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always putting a pin in stuff. And, uh, yeah, you just kind of like leave it open to possibilities. And then sometimes you come up with an idea that's better than what that other idea could have been. And yeah. Yeah. So I think that, that could have gone in that direction. That would have been really interesting. You also have to think about, because I've been trying to write every single day, and you have to go like, okay, well, what should happen, what should be like the the reveal or the twist for this? And you think of it, and then you're like, okay, but that was the first thing I thought of, so that's probably the first thing a bunch of other people are thinking yeah. I have to throw that away and think of something else, mm-hmm. and you have to go like a couple layers in and still stay true to the original, and that's really difficult to do. Yeah. So, anyway, she's really good at writing. Yeah, she really is. <laughs> yeah. The other thing was that, up until the last handful of chapters, Firion didn't have any... He was just kind of the the heart of the, like their little family, but he didn't have any real direct ties to anything, and so that's what I, why I was like, there's got to be a, a reveal about him. And there kind of is, but it's not... like It doesn't totally undo everything or anything, and so I was, I was trying to figure out a way to work him in there more than what we had seen up to that point. So Glurk is like the oldest thing. Yeah. And he says that he does not deal with magic because magic came along after him and it's just a whole messy business and he doesn't want to deal with it. I think that's really cool because usually they talk about how the ancient one is the most magic. Mm-hmm. He's so ancient, he doesn't even touch magic. Because yeah. that is so like, it, it's like newfangled technology for him. He's like, nuh-uh, nuh-uh. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. It's just a different direction to take. And you're just like, how old is he? Right. I mean, it's heavily implied that he, you know, created the entire world. Right. But he's also in the entire world. So it's all like... He is the entire world. But he's also There's the a poet, lot of it. But he's also... Yeah, the... <laughs> he's also this. He's also the dog. <laughs> oh, and then I uh, adjusted my prediction to maybe it wasn't that Zane was evil. It was just that, like Luna, she didn't have control over her magic. And so people interpreted that as being horrible things happening. But no, there's an actual bad person. Uh-huh. Okay, go ahead. All right. So, um, Zan gathers together all the old spell books and brings them back to her swamp, and she researches night and day. After weeks, she's finally come to a decision on how to handle Luna. She's uh, contained Luna's magic down to a seed-like shape and placed it in her brain. When Luna is 13 years old, her magic will open again. In the meantime, Zan will teach her all about magic and responsibility and all that jazz. And when Luna's magic returns, Zan will die. Lurk is heartbroken by the solution, but Zan is resolute and she completes the spell. Chapter 12. The mother and child are back! This time, the kid asks if the witch ever goes to the bog, and no, of course she doesn't! Only good things come from the bog. In the beginning, there was only the bog, until it made the bog beast, which spoke poetry and made everything else into being. But there's no witch in the bog. Bitch, please. (laughs) Witch, please. (laughs) Chapter 13. Antaine goes to visit the Sisters of the Star. He has an inn with them because he was an errand boy for them for years until he was 12, and he was sent home with a note saying he'd been a disappointment. 
Everyone gets this note, though. <laughs> Antine's little brother Rook is the new errand boy, and he lets him in to see the head sister, Sister Ignatia. The sister is a formidable Lucille Bluth-type lady, but she's got a soft spot for Antine. They make small talk, and Sister Ignatia expresses disdain for the elders. Interessante. She works out that Antine's here to see the crazy mom who's locked in the tower and lets him go see her. Legally, she can't stop him, which makes her pretty pissy. Luna's mom is still pretty crazy, but she's also magic, and she sicks paper birds onto Antane while claiming her daughter is still alive. And the ominous-sounding she is still out there, too. Okay, can I stop you for one second? Did you just say she sicks the paper birds, like, 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 sick them, like that? Mm-hmm. It sounded like you said the number six, and the phrase was like, she's six paper birds, like, like, she's six paper birds short of a flock, like, for her insanity <laughs> or something. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> All right. So chapter 14, Luna wakes up and she can't understand bird language anymore. It upsets and confuses her because uh, birds don't have a language, do they? No one understands them. Uh, Zan tries to teach Luna about magic, but when she hears anything about it, she goes all blue screen of death and the system crashes. crashes when she reboots. She And when she uh, reboots, she doesn't remember what Zan was talking about. That's what it, it's what it sounded it like. It is. It's like, it's like we, we found fragmented files. We had to remove them. Yeah. How often do you defrag this? Uh, Zan convinces herself that Luna was never magic to begin with. And all the while, uh, her magic ticks inside her like a bomb about to go off. Chapter 15. In the meantime, Antane's grown up a bit. As a result of the paper bird attack, he's badly scarred. Uh, though he'd shouted for help, no one let him out of the madwoman's cell until his injuries were too great. Like, this is, this is real. he was like in a puddle of blood. Like, it was really, it's, I was like, this is gruesome. Paper did this? <laughs> like, jeez. Antane uh, resigned from the council, and uh, he opens a carpentry business that's extremely successful on both sides of the road. He's even commissioned to make cradles for star children, though he doesn't know what a star child is. Uh, he's mostly solitary, except for visits from his mother, who flinches when she sees his face, and the occasional curious child who asks to touch his scars. Antane goes to Sister Ignatia to tell her in person that he has no time to build her a desk, Ignatia points out that he always turns down the sister's commissions, and gee, I wonder why. While he's there, Ignatia asks him to escort home a novice who's giving up her studies. It's Ethine, the girl from school that he liked. He still likes her, and she doesn't flinch from his scars, and seems like a kind, decent person. A rarity in this town. Sheesh. Chapter 16. The madwoman in the tower keeps drawing her maps that say she's here, then folding them into birds and letting them fly. The sisters take her paper, but she always gets more somehow. Uh, people find her maps and ignore them, pitying her, except Antane, whose scars apparently resemble this map. He actually looks at what she's written, and the woman begins to hope. This is where, so the first handful of chapters are just kind of like set up, but this is where it starts packing in the layers of specifically all of the symbols, because you have the recurring, uh, the map being the scars, but also the map being what she's doing while she's up in the tower. This is where birds start to become another image. Later on, we see some of uh, Zan's magic, and she's able to transform into a bird. Then there's the recurring motif of the magic coming out of Luna is it's the it's a clock ever ticking towards thirteen, mm-hmm. and so this is where it just starts packing in the layers. I think it is cool that pretty much universally the bog is referred to as a positive thing because usually swamps are like 
it's bad symbolism. Yeah, yeah. So she does a good job of flipping enough of those to be interesting without just being like, everything's opposite. Well, I mean, they would like the blog better because the forest is full of all sorts of scary well, yeah. bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just like, we can't live here without something being mm-hmm. good. So there's nothing bad in the bog. <laughs> there are large sections at this point where I'm not highlighting it all just because I'm really enjoying the book. Right. Yeah, um, I kind of had that really problem nice. too. <laughs> I just like, I just want to read it. <laughs> this is so good. This is where we first start to see that uh, Sister Ignatia is perhaps not quite the best thing around. She's really bullying to these poor little boys. Yeah. Who never get to stay for very long. And I thought, I I wonder why they all get sent home at 12. Because they don't deserve to have the knowledge or it'd be bad for them to like get any smarter or something. Right. So it's well, like, let's get them out. Yeah. They, okay. They confirm later that the sisters basically withhold all knowledge and the library is only for them and yeah. you need to keep, you keep the people ignorant, you keep them you don't give them hope because they right. need they need the sorrow. And this is where I picked up on Sister Ignatia being kind of vampiric, but I didn't... I don't know why it took me so long to connect her yeah. to the, the story. It took me a while, too. <clears throat> Maybe it's because she distracted us pretty well. Right. So then later she'd be like, it was all there. I'm like, you're right, it was it all was. there. It was. No, it's it's 100%. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like I... It isn't a cheat. Yeah. Like the... Who ends up being the in charge of the red council or whatever oh uh, right in sisters sisters yeah yeah i didn't say the spoiler this time so you don't have to put that horrible annoying b pose in me um but yeah it's not like like i love old detective stories like sherlock holmes and stuff like that and i know Mm -hmm. you read a lot of agatha christie but one of the things is that there are a lot of those stories where there's no way that you could go back and solve the crime on your own because they intentionally withhold information to make the detective in the story seem really... doesn't do that. I, I've it's not, all there. I've not read any of hers. I'm, but but having, it's, it's worth it. Then you can yeah. go back and be like, what? Yeah, but like having read a lot of Sherlock Holmes, he definitely does there's that. There's a lot where, of pulling it out of his back pocket. Like, yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. Thankfully, I enjoy just being like, oh man, Sherlock's so smart. But it's true. It's like, it's like if you go back, you're not going to be able to piece it together. But Mm-mm. this is very much like everything is yeah. laid out. Here's our all. It's like, it's like a puzzle. Yeah. Exactly like a puzzle. Because yeah. all the pieces are there. Yeah. The thing is just assembling yeah. it to see what the big picture is. Fuck you. <laughs> and she does a good job of. I, I knocked uh, into something. I wasn't saying that to Josh. And this is where she starts bringing in the motifs, and that's that's how you're able to kind of follow all the different threads. It's like every time you notice a reference to a bird, you know that it's talking about one theme. If Every time you notice a reference to a tiger, you know it's talking about this character. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're paying attention to every time those show up, you can follow all those through lines directly to the end, and that's really cool. Yeah. I still think she might have tried a little too hard with Glurk, but that's just kind of like a, yeah, we'll see. Because we have a lot more to talk about, so maybe Maybe it'll... if I was more of a philosophy person, I would appreciate that more, but I'm not, and I detest poetry, so it's right? just really hard for me. If I was more of a poetic person, I'd probably be all like, yes, yes, A+, plus, all of it. But since I'm not, it's just a little bit more of a struggle for me, which is more my problem and not the text's problem. So I'm not going to blame the text for this. I will have to do poetry in college. And I will have to write a bunch of things that I don't care about because I don't get poetry and I don't feel like anything I say actually makes any sense. And then my poetry teachers would say, this is really good. I should go up there and read it and have everybody just go, wow, that was really deep. And it'd be like, 
I don't understand any of this. I think you're all lying. I don't think you understand it either. I don't think, understand I don't think it. anyone gets poetry. No one understands poetry. Everyone <laughs> pretends to get poetry. But they don't. <laughs> but you're right. That's that's probably at least at least 60% my fault. The other 40% will either come out in the discussion or I will take the rest of it on. Alright. <laughs> uh, let me just check to see that we're... I was actually really sad the first couple of times Luna's just went totally blank talking about magic mm-hmm. because you saw how incredible she is as like this little girl that's so everything she touches just becomes this fantastical brilliant beautiful shining everything and then it's all gone yeah and she doesn't even know that it's gone no she just knows no she, she feels like maybe there was something there yeah but that's it yeah and it's i had a few days ago i watched a video of a guy uh interviewing his mom who was suffering from alzheimer's and didn't remember him anymore and it's like the most upsetting thing to see somebody know that they should know something but can't get there and so seeing that with her was like really rough antine's mom is so (sighs) stage mothery so after (laughs) after the encounter with the paper birds he has all this scarring across his face and he decides to just kind of, like, devote himself to carpentry, which he'd already been really into. He yeah. never really wanted to be an elder. Right. It was just all to satisfy his mom. And then after the encounter, he's like, you know what? I'm going to do what Antane likes. Yeah. I am sick of this, and you're never happy with anything yeah. anyway. Yeah. And then after a while of that, she's like, well, you know. I knew he'd be successful. Right. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I always knew it. I always wanted him to do this. Um, but uh-huh. she decides that she wants him to have a wife. And she's like, I've, right. I've been talking with some other mothers. They have set a keen eye on the life you've built here. They're interested in introducing you to their daughters. Not their prettiest daughters, you understand, <laughs> but daughters nonetheless. Gosh. Just awful. <laughs> well, it all works out for him. I really love the scene with Antane and the kid. Yeah. The kids like, would I go up and be like, can I touch your scars? And he's like, sit down, let's do it. And they're both like, thank you. Yeah, he would say, it, if the kid was not immediately like freaked out, mm-hmm. Uh, he would take off his hood and say, go ahead. And does it hurt? The child would always ask. Not today, Antane always said. Another lie. His scars always hurt. The touch of those small fingers on his face tracing the furrows and ridges of the scars made Antane's heart constrict just a little. Thank you, Antane would say. And he meant it every time. That was one of the times I teared up. That's a really good scene. It really is. You just picture some, like, earnest, curious little child just, like... Yeah. Before they've learned that, you know, no, people who are different are bad. Stay away from them. Right. Yeah, that's just like, scary. Yeah, they're, they're, like, they're no, just like... There's something going... Can I... Yeah, they're just learning. Yeah. They're just learning that people are different and, you know... Like, they want to touch, like, people's tattoos also. Yeah, exactly. And, like, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I thought that was really great. But his mom flinches every time she looks at yeah. him. Yeah. And so... I don't know. How bad could it actually be? I guess people don't... I mean, it's bad enough to be a discernible map. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you have Tucson written on your cheek? <laughs> Birds do that. I like that he purposely, he's like, oh yeah, I have so many commissions, I can't do anything for you guys. Because they just left him in that cell to just scream and scream while he was attacked. Mm-hmm. So just like, I'm not making anything for you guys. All right, chapter 17? 17. Okay. Luna's now 11, and she loves learning from the books in Zan's workshop. 
She's also getting frustrated that she can't always go to the free cities with Xan, and dude, her head aches so bad. What is up with that? Uh, she climbs up the ridge to monitor Xan's progress home and has a recovered memory of her birth mother that moves her to tears. Furion's distressed by her crying, and Luna tells him that she's only thinking of how much she loves her family. Um, chapter 18. The next day of sacrifice comes. Xan is much slower to get the baby and trudges along, uh, dreading the town and its sorrow, but not remembering the basis of her dread. She just knows sorrow's bad. That's kind of like an undercurrent, currently sorrow's dangerous. <laughs> Avoid it. Um, the mad woman throws out a paper falcon to the clearing where the council leaves babies. She thinks of Sister Ignatia and how she can no longer eat the woman's, uh, how, uh, Sister Ignatia can't eat the woman's sorrow because, uh, the woman has none anymore. Because, yeah, mad woman knows what's up first out of anybody. Um, Antane has had enough of this baby sacrifice crap, being an idealist, idealistic newlywed, and he goes to the bog to confront the witch. Xan has just showed up, and she has enough power to knock him back and turn herself into a hawk in order to fly away. She only gets as far as two ridges, but it's enough. Meanwhile, Antine, Antine finds the paper falcon. There's no map on this one. It just says, don't forget, on one side and on the other. I mean it. <laughs> uh, chapter 19. Luna's 12, and she's clever, but the more she learns, the more she's frustrated by what she doesn't know. And that is so true to life. Uh, she realizes that she hasn't actually read all the books in Zan's workshop, that there's several, that when she tries to read the titles, her mind slips away, and she comes back to herself forgetting what she'd been trying to read. So she's blue-screening and then kind of realizing something, like, I blue-screened, but what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, on one trip to the Free Cities, Luna is alarmed by how rickety and old Zan has become. She runs ahead to warn the widow woman they're about to see in the town of Agony, and the townspeople organize a welcome party for Zan. Zan thinks they're fussing, but she's grateful uh, to sit down. <laughs> Luna sits with all the star children, and they each try to pinpoint their earliest memories. Uh, Luna describes Elder Gerland, Antane, and her birth mother, but Zan dismisses these claims, saying that she never met any of those people. Um, the weight of untold secrets is building up between Zan and Luna. So chapter 20, Luna tries to tell Furion a story, her story about a girl who can't remember, a dragon who never grows up, a monster who loves the world but doesn't know the right things to say, a man in robes, and a woman on the ceiling, and an ominous tower. She just doesn't know how it ends. This section is where I started to notice the kind of bow tie shape of the timeline, and I wrote in, uh, I enjoy that this story moves forward by unfolding the past, Instead of just being a series of actions, cough heroes of Olympus. I'm... <laughs> Are we calling out Rick Riordan now? Well, I thought he wrote okay. Heroes of Olympus. He did. So okay. here's the thing. Percy Jackson is a phenomenal series for what it wants to do. Just fun, action, mythology, you know, entertaining characters, humor, all that. It hits the mark every single time. And then they were like, cool, keep making these until you die. And he is still, he's still a competent storyteller in the sense that he makes characters that are entertaining, he makes situations that are entertaining, but it doesn't have the spark anymore, and it doesn't ever feel like it is going to anything besides the next thing, if that makes sense. Okay. Every book, I, I just finished the third Heroes of Olympus a few weeks ago, and it just feels like you need to go to this location and encounter this god or demigod and have a conflict with them for about 75 pages and then go to the next one. 
and that is every single book is just going to the next one, learning a little bit about mythology, and then you just keep going. And that's just the whole thing is just propelling you with that. Okay. There's no real character development anymore. There's no big thematic consequences. It's all just set piece after set piece. And so have, that, I think, was the most recent YA book I read before this. And so it was a really nice contrast to see it all <laughs> building towards something, having important themes that it was very conscious of. And that was just very refreshing. That's good. <laughs> and if we seem a little rusty, I should mention that we did take a, we did not record it for, for a month. Yeah, for, yeah. we took a, an entire month off. We took December off, which is fair. Cause that's, yeah, that's right. Busy. <laughs> it was busy. Holidays are just, they're a whole thing. Yeah. Um, when Luna turns 12, she begins to draw all the time. Mm-hmm. And that is, I assume, to start showing connections between her and her biological mother. Because her biological mother is just obsessively creating and it's, yeah. it's paper. And so... Also, um, it's a way for her to kind of access parts of her mind she knows mm-hmm. she can't. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like automatic writing. Yeah. She sits there with it and just like, and then she looks at it later and is like, what did I make? Yeah. What is this? Yeah. <laughs> her subconscious can access more of the magic side of things than her conscious right. ever could. So not all of the, like the little short story chapters, those aren't all the same storyteller. I think it is. We find out who the storyteller was. But chapter 20 is Luna telling a story, and it's formatted the exact yeah, same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think they're all Luna? No. No, they're not Luna. They're so not you, all Luna. I know so who, you think I know the one is. that is Luna is not Luna? No, the one that is Luna is Luna. But otherwise, so I know that, So that is the one, and all of the other ones are... Not Luna. Okay. You want to get to this point? I thought I was going to... I'm going to reveal it later. Yeah, no, that's fine. I was just... <laughs> I was confirming that we were on the same page, because I had remembered explicitly one of those chapters that's formatted the same way, that is so obviously not the same. I might have write that down. As okay. long as we're on the same page, the chapter 20 is definitely it's Luna. Definitely we can, Luna. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not crazy. We can go from there. Because yeah. I was yeah. like... Well, I found out who it is because the way it was coded. Because like you said, there's specific coding all through this book. Anyway, um, uh, chapter 21. Uh, back from their trip, uh, Zan is ill in bed. Because she isn't there to say no, Luna has Furion sleep in bed with her. Because Furion's usually... I think because he sneezes sometimes or something, and like he can spray fire. Mm-hmm. But the uh, Zan's like, we're not gonna have him in the room with you. Well, that's bad idea. We're not <laughs> doing that. So she's not there to say no. So it's like, okay, I get to have my pet sleep in bed with me. <laughs> Little snuggly Furion. Little snuggly Furion, who's very cute. So during the night, Furion starts snoring and heating up, and he uh, heats up so badly that he burns Luna bad enough to blister, and she throws him out. Throws him from the bed, telling him to get out. Furion's dreaming of the day his mother died, and it's heartbreaking. Um, he wakes up in a forest, and he's suddenly huge, and he's unable to fly. Uh, unused to flying with, you know, more bulky weight. I figured that was the problem. Anyway, um, he's at a ruined tower that he recognizes, and suddenly he remembers uh, Zan as a little girl, and Furion's mother telling Zan to look after him when she's gone. But how can this be? Furion's just a baby! He finds a pair of magical boots and remembers lots of wizards studying them. It's all so distressing and confusing that Virion keeps keeps singing that he's unafraid. <laughs> I, <laughs> There's nothing to fear. I'm fine. Because <laughs> some, I think his mom told. I think it said like his mom told him like, "Hey, if you ever get scared, just sing." And he's just been like, "Okay." 
okay. Even though you don't really got to give him much of an excuse to start singing. Then a growling dark monster starts approaching Furion. Just in time, he remembers Zan telling him that if he's ever separated from her, he just has to chant her name three times to be by her side again. So he tries to Beetlejuice his way back to her, and it fails. When he panics and tries it with Luna's name, he ends up back in her pocket where she was never burned. Uh, was it all just a dream? Nope. Luna finds the boots in the morning, and they have, Don't use us, unless you mean it, <laughs> written on them. Okay, System 404 error. When she recovers from her headache, she tosses the boots in a trunk and decides to talk to Glark about them. Within moments, she's forgotten all about the boots. Chapter 22. Hey, guess what time it is again? It's story time! Now the mother tells the kid about the seven league boots that allow uh, the witch to travel the world, stealing magic to make her stronger and spread sorrow everywhere. It's why the world sucks and you'll never be happy. Why does this kid keep asking for stories? JFC. <laughs> Thank you, Goy. Chapter 23. All mm -hmm. right. Zan's sleeping longer and longer each day, but claiming it's totally normal, and she's always slept late. Luna knows she's lying, and it upsets her. Also upsetting, her face is breaking out. She's stinky, and weird things keep happening to her. Once she wanted to look in a bird's nest, and the next minute she's up in the top branches of the tree. She chalks it up to the wind, though she knows this is stupid. Also, squirrels and birds talk to her. What the actual F? She usually forgets this stuff after it happens, but when the next magical moment occurs, she realizes it's not an isolated incident. Anyway, Luna goes up the ridge to do some drawing while making her mind blank, like automatic writing, like we talked about. Uh, when she comes out of her daze, it's noon, and she finds Glurk waiting for her back at the house, uh, worried. Zan's still in bed, and she doesn't wake up for another hour. When Luna looks through her drawings, she sees the imagery we're all used to by now, but she's also drawn maps, particularly one of a city behind a wall and a tower there with the words, she's here. Ruh -roh. Uh, chapter 24. Antane goes to see his uncle Gerland. He wants to see the council, which wouldn't be allowed, but he claims he just wants to thank them, and Brown knows, so it's allowed. Once there, though, Antane lays down the facts. His wife is pregnant, his kid's gonna be the youngest in the protectorate come sacrifice day, but he's seen the witch, he heard her scream out in pain when she transformed to a hawk. So she's old and he can totally take her. BT dubs, here's a map that shows where she lives. Give me your blessings, fellas, because I'm going to go kill me a witch. Oh, Antine, honey, no. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the dream that may not have been a dream. Because this is, this is the only situation where this sort of thing really happens. Like everything else, it was like there's super confusing. everything else. There's magic, but it's not like like this is the one thing that doesn't seem to adhere to any of the rules that I've seen before. So unless I'm reading it wrong, and it actually well, it's kind of like is airtight. Which, which of them was doing the magic? Was it Furion or was it Luna? Right. I kind of feel like it must have been Furion because he's also got some kind of enchantment on him because he hasn't. Yeah grown in 500 years and this kind of like in this arrested development as a baby little dragon link i just pictured him as buster when you said arrested development hey sarah <laughs> <laughs> hey auntie grandma's i'm a monster <laughs> <laughs> yeah so luna ends up obtaining these boots because while asleep furion like dream snatched them or something yeah i'm not sure this chapter works. I feel like it is a magical way to put the boots in the right position for later in the story. And just because we, as far as I can remember, we don't see any other situations where 
sleep and dreaming can produce these sort of results, I'm not sure that I am on board with it. Yeah, it probably needs a little bit of tweaking. Like, it could have been made to work, but I don't know. It Like, like if maybe if they're... Was there some buildup before with the Sorrow Eater? Because then maybe there could be, like, a sense of urgency to do something about that before she can... <sighs> no, I don't, I don't no, know. No, I think at this point the Sorrow Eater has only been revealed kind of... Obliquely. You have to really be paying attention. Yeah. For it to, like... Well, it's also... Connecting. Revealing something to the reader versus revealing something to Luna. I don't think Luna or Firion are aware of any of this going on at this point yet. I think it's... They you, know, a... you know they say show, not tell? Right. She could have stood to tell a little bit more. I feel like we've been shown a whole lot. You know? There could have, there which, could have been a bit more telling. Which, for the most right part, here. works phenomenally. Right. Yeah. The vast but, majority of the time, You're right. This part's well. a little clunky. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure what to make of. I w- I was kind of confused. Unless that's why she didn't. Zan didn't want like Lu- Luna sleep. You know, the the they're sleeping in bed because there's a chance of that happening. In which case, I think we would have still needed something. To a little bit. I, okay. To, not not to Luna, but Zan thinking about that. That we right. would see. That would be like, you know, if. If they're too close together for too long, their magic mixes in weird ways, or just some sort of illusion to Because they're that. both enchanted. Yeah. Okay. Maybe she did, and I just didn't notice it. It could have said But I didn't notice it either, so... Statistically. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> this is... It, it, it's just a couple of little things like that that, as far as Goodreads go, I think it would still probably... It, I should adjust mine to five stars, but it's like a slightly lower five stars than the, like, airtight doll bones or... Right. Um, even think about jellyfish. It's like a, it's like a four and a half leaning towards five. You hear that? You're at least a bronze medal. <laughs> Aw, bronze. That's sad. <laughs> the other ones just get participation ribbons. So, and then that one got disqualified. <laughs> yeah, just going around, like get out. <laughs> We're talking about the book that we will never tell you what the book was, unless we get a million listens. <laughs> I checked our stats on iTunes. Yeah. Five minutes. That's the grand total of listening we have received through iTunes. Oh, wow. That's really bad. But, Uh, I mean, we're getting consistently in the dozens on SoundCloud, which is the one that we're promoting the most. And we've actually had a couple of people, like, do the little timeline comment. Uh-huh. Where they like mark a spot and they they say something about the they somebody put like cheese it has spoken on one of the episodes. Oh, yeah, I I know who that was. That's someone I'm friends with on uh, Tumblr. And I just want to officially apologize because um I don't listen to like like we record this like a month like like months in advance and then um maybe I listen to it once but that's like then I forget about it. Uh, this guy like messaged me something. That was like weird, and I was like, I don't really know the context for this, whatever. And I like never responded to him. And then when I was like gearing up for like recording again, I listened to the tunnels episode, and he was quoting from something something I said in the tunnels episode. And I was like, oh no, you were saying you thought something I said was funny, and I was just a bitch, just like I don't, I don't know what you're doing right now. Oh no, <laughs> just didn't respond. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was really bitchy. It happens, though. Uh, uh, there's a convention that I volunteered at a couple of times, and people would always come up to 
the you know the stars of all the different things and start qu- quoting maybe an episode that just come out that week or something but because they rec- record so many things or so far in advance they're just like I don't know what you're talking about but I'm right. glad that you're supporting me right 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 right, right. <laughs> that's, that's what that felt like so we are thankful for anybody listening yeah but because we record so far in advance at times I can't remember we may not that. remember specifics yeah I'm sorry so Antine prepares to go and confront the witch for realsies go okay. ahead it just says what he married Ethine, that uh, novice that yeah. he escorted home that was like the girl he liked in school. Yeah, because she's like she's super cool. She is. She's like the coolest character. Especially book. towards the end, she does. Uh, she's so. She rad. does some really cool stuff. She's so rad. <laughs> all, all of the characters in this are really good. Um, mm-hmm. The majority of them are women, and they're all very good female characters. All the characters are really solid, well done characters. Right. No one's cardboard. So, uh, chapter 25, Luna wakes in the night with a splitting headache. She goes outside with the talking crow. Mm, when did the crow Oh, crap, out? I'm sorry. I had one other thing that I wanted to ask, but I didn't okay. write it down because I didn't think of it until you were talking. Okay. So, she starts, she basically starts going through puberty at 12, right? Right, She's getting yeah. all pimply and stuff. Is there supposed to be a correlation between her, the unlocking of her magic and, like, puberty within a, a girl? Like, Menarchy? Is, like, not, not to do the whole, like, like you know probably everything is beautiful but like making it be like you know kind of normalizing it and showing that there's um yes particularly with her power coming from the moon because that imagery is also kind of um tied in a lot with like i just made a joke about menarche when yeah girls first start getting their periods yeah yeah so yeah i think that that was very intentionally done i feel cool i didn't see that the first time but i think that's also because you know, I haven't experienced anything right. like that on a personal <laughs> level, so I wouldn't see it as clearly. Right, right. Um, But when you started talking about it, it started making more sense. Um, and I think that's cool, and I like the fact that it's it's there to receive, but it's not it's not trying to turn it into a, like, we're now going to make this all a metaphor for her sexuality, and now this is yeah. what it means to become a woman or something. It's, right, this is, like that. This is the coming-of-age story about a, a witch. Right. The fact that you can also read that as being a positive message of you know, a, a girl growing up is also really awesome. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I like that. Um, yeah, there's some crow she's been hanging out with for a while that, like, she feels like it's talking, but then it's like, crows don't talk. What? What? So, you know, <laughs> so she's like, trying to figure all this out, and it's pissing her off. Anyway, she goes outside with the talking crow, and she reaches up to the sky for starlight, which she consumes. It eases her headache, and wait, has she done this before? <laughs> She's like, what am I doing? It's almost like when you walk into a room and forget what you were going to do is what's happening to her over and over. She goes uh, walking and she ends up at the don't forget stone that opens. Um, Though the crow tells her, uh, don't go in there. She goes through the doorway and she ends up in a workroom where with some struggle, she's finally able to read and remember the word magic. No idea what it is, but it's like, okay. There it is. The word I've never been able to frickin' process. Baby steps. <laughs> Alright, so chapter 26. Uh, the mad woman in her tower is actually pretty magical. She's able to kind of convert her, like, madness into magic, which I wish you could do with, like, mental illnesses. Though I feel like my anxiety would just manifest as, like, poltergeist activity. Anxiety sucks. <laughs> really does. Oh my god. I need to, like, 
get over my medical anxiety and go to a doctor and get mine actually That's so diagnosed true. It's like, and then get them. I was like, I could be fine if I could just go, but I can't. I have severe anxiety about going somewhere to process my severe anxiety. Yes. Oh my God. I can't even go get new glasses. That's how bad it is. Okay. Okay. So the mad woman's magical. Uh, she makes paper out of random objects. Um, that's where it all comes from. Like the way the uh, sisters clear it out is like, what? Where did she? Where is she even getting this? <laughs> and uh... <laughs> close up magic. She just keeps pulling out pages. <laughs> she does like that scene in Ant Man where he makes her he barfs up the cards. She barfs up the paper. <laughs> okay, she can also transform herself into small animals, but only for a short time, and it tires her out pretty badly. So she ends up sleeping for a few days after she does that. So that's why we don't do that very often. Um, one day she transforms herself into a beetle. Her name was Ringo. No. And, uh, eavesdrops. She eavesdrops on a meeting between Sister Ignatia and Grand Elder Gerland. They're bothered by Antane's, uh, witch quest because it's giving the townspeople hope. Like, hope is floating around and they do not like it! Um, though they love Antane, they must maintain the status quo. Antane must die and Sister Ignatia will be the one to kill him. Um, chapter 27. The magic papers tell Luna all about the castle's heyday, when witches and wizards lived there and studied magic. Then one day, a strong, tall woman who was a sorrow eater brought a little devastated orphan girl to the... <laughs> orphan girl. <laughs> I didn't know the sentence finished on the <laughs> It's a fire sale. That's exactly what it was like. Or this one performance of the... Did you ever have to watch, like, the reduced Shakespeare theater? No. The, the, um, the guys, like, do, like, well, exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> they do, like, condensed versions of, like, Shakespeare plays. And, like, at the beginning, um, one of the guys gives this, like, kind of facetious uh, childhood, like, report on Shakespeare's life and stuff. And it's like, his mother was a Roman, and he turns the card over, Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what that felt like. So let's try that again. One day, a strong, tall woman who was a sorrow eater brought a little devastated orphan girl to the castle. They wanted to enmagic her and study her, but the wizard Zosimos disliked the idea. Uh, he had been enmagicked as a child himself, and he knows that's not a good scene. So he uh, became the girl's guardian, and he tied their destinies together. He weakened and grew old, and no one listened when he warned everyone about the sorrow eater. The papers hope... When the girl's all grown up, she'll be strong enough to take on the Sorrow Eater. And that girl, oh, her name's Xan. So that's the big reveal. Which was Which revealed. We knew, yeah, it's, it was revealed like 15 it. chapters ago. Right. Uh, chapter 28. Well, now everything's coming together. While Luna's away, uh, Xan leaves her a note explaining everything and then transforms herself into a swallow to go pick up the newest star child. Uh, Antane waits for the birth of his son, Lucan, then he leaves to go hunt the witch. The mad woman sees him leave, and she turns her bars into ribbons and escapes the tower on the backs of all her paper birds. Um, the sisters are pissed by the disappearance, but Ignatia is even more distressed when Gerland shows up and reports that Antane's left. Ignatia sets out after him. Luna comes home, and she finds uh, the note Xan left. She doesn't read the whole thing, and she rips it up because she's furious that her grandmother's attempting a big journey and her poor health. The letter knits itself back together while she packs a bag, and one part of the letter sneaks into her pocket before she storms out the door. 
Um, Glurk and Furion find the letter and read it. Glurk can tell that it's been ripped and mended, and the word magic is missing from the letter, so that's what slipped into Luna's pocket, I guess. He can see Luna's footprints, because, like, her magic is magic. I don't know why I said that. Because <laughs> her magic is leaking out of her, like, more and more, because we're getting close to, like, 13. And so it's making, like, flowers cross So it's making with... flowers and stuff, so he's like, oh, that's clearly where she went. <laughs> okay, and plus he can also detect... He can see he can see what their magic is. Like Luna's appears as like blue with like silver lining. Cause she's from the moon. Or she <laughs> ate the moon. Well, whatever. Drank it. Sorry. God, I suck. Anyway, so he can see Luna's footprints and he realizes that her magic is starting to bust loose. And he and Furion follow her. Chapter twenty nine. The world's worst mother is back with another traumatizing story. This time about the volcano. It was made by a witch, not the witch, but a witch, who ordered dragons to push it up from the ground into existence. Why? Because some men just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> I actually looked it up on YouTube to make sure I got the quote right. But the little wizard stopped up the volcano. It's still dangerous, though, and one day it'll go off and kill us all. Go to sleep. <laughs> you want to stop there? Yeah, let's, let's stop, stop there. there. That's basically the reason some people watch the world. <laughs> I enjoy the fact that the crow, whenever it talks, it always starts by saying "ka" and then it says what the "ka" actually meant. I started <laughs> skipping the "ka" and just reading the second part of the right. things. Just like I don't, I don't have time. The scene with her figuring out the word magic is really cool because first she reads the entire sentence that includes magic at the center of it. And it's almost like when you don't know a word and so you have to piece it together with context. Right. So she first she does that and then she looks at each letter individually. But then by the time she gets through the end of it, she's like, wait, what were those? And then she has to go back through it and look at it bit by bit. And then she is able to then piece it back together and force it out. But it take, it takes like a, a full page mm-hmm. just to say the word magic. Yeah. But it's done in a way that's like pretty cool. Pretty cute. Pretty cute. Pretty cute. Alright, so this chapter 26 she, is when I figured out that Sister Ignatia was definitely the star leader. That's where I was like, okay, I'm for sure on yeah. the, yep. She totally is, has some big letters. Yeah. She totally is. Well, because two pages before I wrote, is the sister the witch from legend? She totally is. <laughs> she totally is. Uh, it's mentioned earlier, I don't even remember which chapter, but like Zan like, has a memory of her childhood where she's like, crying in her bed at night and she hears someone outside her door going more more it's like what it was this crazy b-i-t-c-h just sitting on the side of her door just like yes the fact that luna was in magic as a child and zan knows that what that's like because she was in magic as a child and zosimos what's his name is it I said, yeah, I said, I think it's Osamos. Z- 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 Zazu, um, he was in magic as a child. It's like, Zazu. it's like this, it's this, this cycle. Circle of, of life. <laughs> but it, it is interesting that each one feels bad that this has happened to the next one because they know what it's like because yeah. it's just it just a pattern that just keeps going down. It's the cycle. And do you think that Luna would accidentally in magic somebody in the future and? It would continue. Maybe in the sequel. <laughs> no! <laughs> no! Maybe she wouldn't, because 
she just helps people, and they're they're not going to be abandoning babies in a swamp anymore. That's very true. So I don't think she's going to have any opportunity to do so. Plus, she knows how much it sucks and wouldn't do that. The very end of the story, when the mother is talking about the volcano, she says, but no matter, one day it will erupt again, and then we will be out of our misery. Yes. I just wrote dark AF. Yeah. So I was like, this mother sucks. Let me tell you about how everything is awful, and it's not worth even being alive, and we're just all waiting to die. It just reminded me a little bit like of Homer Simpson's, and when uh, the kids, there's like an episode of The Simpsons where all the kids... Um, you know, like the the guy who owns the power plant, Mr. I don't know if you've watched the show. I've watched like two. Is that Mr. Burns? That yeah, owns Mr. Burns okay. who owns a power plant. He's looking for uh, someone to like leave his. He's looking for an heir. So he has like all the kids of Springfield come in and audition for him. And neither of the Simpsons kids get it. And they're like in the car after and they're just kind of quiet. And like Marge turns to Homer is like, Homer, they're really disappointed. Could you say something to them? And he goes, kids. You wanted something really bad and you tried to get it and you didn't. The lesson is never try. <laughs> okay, are we ready to get back into it? We're getting pretty close here. Yeah, what are we, 30? Well, you're not yet, but. <laughs> Neither are you. Neither am I. Fuck. You're turning like, you're turning 12 soon, right? Yeah. Wait, I'm already 12. Yeah, you're turning 12 soon. Yeah. <laughs> This is not a visual medium. He's doing this big exaggerated <laughs> wink at me. Okay. All right. So chapter 30. Though she's got a map, Luna's managed to lose herself in the woods. She's scared. Did she and... lose herself in the music? The moment? Mom spaghetti. Okay. <laughs> um, she's scared and she's uh, worried about Zan. And dude, the volcano's supposed to be sleeping. So why does the ground keep moving? As she uh, argues with the crow about stopping to rest or not, the ground opens up and Luna falls into the crevasse. Okay, chapter 31. The mad woman shows up in the swamp because, uh, no, that's not the word because. Let's try this again. The mad woman shows up in the swamp house of Zan's and finds no one there. But she finds Luna's drawings, all signed Luna, and now she knows her daughter's name. She knows somewhere out in the woods her daughter's wandering around, and damn it, a witch is out there too. Pretty sure she's not talking about Zan, though, because mad woman knows what's up. And I really hate that we have to keep calling her that. Because <laughs> we don't have a name until, like, name. chapter 47 or right. something. Right, yeah, that sounds right. So, uh, chapter 32. You can just say Luna's mom. Okay, but the book says Mad Woman, and I just wrote that down, rather than Luna's mom. Anyway, uh, chapter 32. But she's not crazy, she just has legitimate, acute Don't stressors. make me say chapter 32 again. When Luna fell, she landed on giant mushrooms. She's injured, but it could have been a lot worse. She could have fallen into a nearby creek. She gets up and keeps walking, and as she goes, her injuries magically heal and her clothing mends. And she's kind of like, what, what about it? Meanwhile, uh, Zan the Sparrow has forgotten that she's human, and she kind of flies around aimlessly like she's Travis, uh, confused <laughs> until she hears Glurk and Furion walking along, talking about looking for Zan and Luna. This brings Zan back to herself, and out of fear for Luna, who's out on her own, and the poor abandoned baby, she gets her ass in gear. Uh, Luna finds herself in an abandoned village, with carvings in the rock of dragons and people with birthmarks on their heads just like hers of the crescent moon. Suddenly, all the paper birds settle around her and Luna finally understands magic. Uh, chapter 33. Zan's resting for the night when she sees a frightened traveler under her tree. She flutters down to comfort him, but he's so keyed up he throws a rock at her, breaking her wing. The goober is, of course, Antane, and he's horrified by what he's done. He bundles Zan up, determined to take her 
to his wife Ethine once his business with the witches concluded. Is this the part where you decided that it was me? <laughs> or was Actually, it? it was at the beginning when like the woman's up in the rafters like, you're not going to take my baby, and Antane starts crying. <laughs> I was like, this is Josh. <laughs> Why are we doing this? Why don't we just leave him alone for a while? That and then the and him being like, well, are, we're just gonna like leave it leave it here and just like okay, works out. We're not gonna like make sure that the exchange happens. Like, this is a weird economy. This, this is kind of, <laughs> they're like, shut up. And you're like, true. <laughs> so, um, Sister Ignatia is also in the woods and she's scrying for Antane, but her scrying stone is blurry. Something's blocking her magic. Also, she hasn't had any sorrow in two days, so she's starving. Her scrying stone finally picks up Glurk, and apparently these two aren't the best of buds because she decides she wants to kill him too. To perk herself up, she murders two sparrow nestlings and eats the mother's sorrow before going on her murderous way. If only she could find her old seven league boots! How do you feel about the volcano? I guess it goes off every 500 years. It adds like more urgency to the, to the story and um, kind of makes everyone have to think outside of themselves and their own drama that's going on to try to try and protect like the you know the greater so it didn't bother me is there a reason i'm wrong i don't think you're wrong at all um there i think furian makes a comment about it later so i want to yeah he does yeah because i want to come back to that because i i have questions about the volcano but I guess we're not quite there yet. I drew little sad faces when she's eating the, the baby sparrow. I know. Stuff. Well, she didn't eat the baby sparrow. She just kills them and then eats the Which mom's Which is probably depression. worse. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's not even super filling because it's just a bird. So like a bird's sadness is like not yeah. much. So it's like, why don't you just leave her alone? Are the Seven League Boots a, that specific name, is that like a concept from... Fairy tales? Yeah. Okay. But you take one step and you travel like seven leagues. Okay. So like trips are a lot shorter. Okay. I have heard of things in stories that are like that, but I hadn't heard it explicitly called that before. I like that she used the... Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that is actually a pretty big fairy tale trope. Okay. So chapter 34. As Luna and the crow are weirded, are weirded out by the paper birds, Sister Ignatia appears. The crow calls her a tiger, but she's just a woman, right? She makes Luna nervous uh, when she's referring to Luna's magic, and she's also able to see the binding spell on Luna. Anyway, Luna's got no sorrow, so whatevs. Ignatia goes to the tower for her boots, and Luna realizes she has those boots in her trunk at home. Wisely, she keeps her mouth shut. Ignatia's furious to find the boots gone, and makes the tower crumble by waving her hands. She turns on Luna, seeing the boots residue on her hands, and Darth Vader force chokes her to make her tell where the boots are. The paper birds don't like this, and they swoop on Ignatia. Meanwhile, Gerland goes to visit Ethine and the new baby with two soldiers. His intimidation tactics don't work because Ethine is awesome, and she knows the soldiers. She is immediately suspicious that Ignatia isn't the one doing the intimidating, and immediately senses BS when Gerland says she's unavailable. Ethine asks the soldiers, does the tiger prowl? They say yes, and Ethine is able to deduce that they've set Antane up to murder him. She shouts at Gerland for endangering uh, his own nephew, and she enlists the soldiers to help her, who happily flip sides. Because Ethine is awesome. She is. She's really good. She's so capable. I just love it. She starts out as, like, almost just the object of desire for Antane, but quickly is... She's a character. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, she's probably the most capable person in this right. entire she city. Should be, she should be running this place. <laughs> Chapter 35. Glurk and Furion are still looking for Xan and Luna when they realize the volcano is super restless. And Glurk smells someone bad. Wonder who? 
Ignatius scries for her boots, and she sees hands pulling them out of a trunk. The person puts them on and walks around. Ignatia recognizes the area and heads off in that direction. Uh, chapter 36. After the paper bird attack, Luna runs away until uh, she and the crow determine, determine that Ignatia isn't following them. All at once, Luna's memories from all the time she blue-screened come back. With that info, she scries for her grandmother and sees she's a bird with Antane. Uh, chapter 37. Settling down for the night, Antane makes dinner and he explains to Zan, the swallow, why he's in the woods and explains the day of sacrifice, his family, and his quest to kill the witch. Zan is horrified for the people of the Protectorate. How did this all start? <laughs> I want to ask a couple of really quick questions. Is The years stop coming and they don't stop coming. They yeah. Don't stop coming. Is this section where the... Did she use the tiger as the image for Sister Nisha prior to this? I forget when it started. Because then I started picking it up. And after this, it, it happens like all the time, and I, yeah. I caught it every single time. I'm wondering if I missed it or if she just was late to. I feel like I need to go back. I need to go back and read it again. This book might deserve a reread. It, I think it does. Cause I feel like I missed like a ton, and I bet maybe on this I can reread the <laughs> the dream boot scene might make more maybe. sense. Because <laughs> um, once I am aware that it is happening, I see it very frequently, right. uh-huh. but. For the first 250 pages, I don't see that word at all. And so all of a sudden I'm like, Tiger, what does that have to do with anything? And then it makes sense. But if it wasn't present at all prior to that, I wish it had been dropped just once or twice. Then all of a sudden it cascades into far more frequently later on. But if there are and I missed them, no strike against the book, still on point. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, we'll have to go back and check that out. Do they have a formal military or are they all part of the Sisters of the Star? It's all Sisters of the Star. That's what I thought. Yeah. Which also, cool, military is all women, and they don't make a big deal out of it. No. Okay, chapter 38. The fog is lifting over the protectorate, and everyone gets to see the sun. They start having visions of their lost babies and realize no one died, and they all went on to live happy lives. Ethine goes to the sisters and enlists more soldiers by laying down the truth and then um, locks up those who aren't going to go along with her. She releases the prisoners in the tower and opens the library to no- so knowledge is available to everyone. I know. I'm just fist bumping at that and point. she does all this with the baby strapped to her front. Right? She's like, I can do it all. I can well, yeah. be a mom and be savior of the protectorate. Well, yeah. Watch me. <laughs> <laughs> um, the townspeople organize a protest of the elders, and the elders are upset, blaming Gerlin for not nipping this all in the bud earlier by not dispatching Antane. Gerlin says Antane will be dead soon enough, and then the ground shakes as the volcano stirs. Chapter 39. As Glurk and Furion make their way through the forest, Furion starts growing to full size. He actually thinks Glurk is shrinking at first, but Glurk tells, finally tells Furion that he's been small all along. Because for a while they were just like, no, yeah, you're a real, you're a real big dragon, you're just in a land of giants. And he's just like, that sounds true, okay. <laughs> and the land of giants! Because <laughs> he sings all the time. Okay, so anyway, um, anyway, uh, he tells, uh, Glurk tells Furion that he's been small all along, that maybe he stayed that way because of Xan, or maybe he was too close to where his mother died when she went into the volcano 500 years ago. Like, we're not sure why he stayed little. Maybe because it was such a traumatic experience, it's like, I'm going to stay safe and little so I can still keep being protected. Like, I, I don't know. It's interesting. There's, like, ways to interpret stuff. She's keeps showing and not telling. It <laughs> it's like you can tell sometimes. Yeah, it's like well, it's just because most of it by the end becomes so clear that when you have a couple of spots where it's not, it's 
did she do that because she specifically wants you to come to your own conclusions? Or is it just a, a, a lack of clarity for uh, some other reason? And because Furion isn't, like, the ambiguity of Glurk and the Bog and stuff, that's that's very, like, high concept attempts, right? Right. Furion is much smaller, <laughs> literally and figuratively. Yes, yes. Just little dragon, big heart, has been small for a long time, all of a sudden gets mad, gets big. There's not a whole lot... So, for those to be, like, the only two things that aren't super clear, it seems weird that Firion would be one of them. Yeah. I I want to ask her. Hey. Hey, Kelly. Kelly, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, we're just, like, we're do you, really super Do you want to come in? We'll do a special episode of a reread, and we'll interview you. Right. That'd be cool. Um, Otherwise, I'm going to just make a sock puppet. Name it Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to come to your own conclusions. I don't know why. Why do you make a sock puppet for a podcast? Okay, where are we at? Okay, um, Glurk uh, then detects Luna's and Zan's magic, and he knows they're close. He's fretting about Zan's health when Furion interrupts him. The mountain's on fire! They need to warn Zan. Meanwhile, Antane hears Luna approaching and thinks it's the witch. He has his knife at the ready so he can slit her throat. Chapter 40. Ignatia faces down with the madwoman for the boots. She points out how the volcano's about to erupt, but if the madwoman hands over the boots, Ignatia will get them both out of there. Ignatia will get... Oh, wait. Fuck, I fucked that up. <laughs> I wrote the same line again. You Please take that out. Take this out. Don't leave it in with beeps for me saying the F word twice. I swear to God. Not him. Okay. Chapter 40. I Ign- might. No! I might leave beeps and then just no! have a couple of dings. And no! <laughs> God damn it. This is, this is the real part, Josh. Chapter 40. Ignatia faces down with the mountain. Well, now they're going to be like, why'd she yell chapter 40 so angrily? <laughs> chapter 40. Ignatia faces down with the madwoman for the boots. She points out how the volcano is about to erupt, but if the madwoman hands over the boots, Ignatia will get them both out of there. The madwoman was born at night, but not last night, and tells her she's lying, calling her Tiger Heart. The name knocks Ignatia for a loop, that the sisters have been spreading stories about her. Because Ignatia's responsible for all the stories that are told in the protectorate so she's like what someone else is doing a thing and i don't have any control of it <laughs> no more niceties ignatius shouts for the boots like the little girl in the bad seed and the mad woman's like bitches say what and takes off like the what <laughs> the little girl in the bad seed give me those shoes it's a movie oh, and also okay. a book well it's like a little girl who's like murdered people and she's and she just killed a little boy because he got a penmanship metal that she wanted to get and she'd like pushed him into like a lake and stepped on his fingers when he tried to like pull himself up so she's got blood from his fingers on her shoes so she like takes her shoes and she throws them down the chute like oh god and uh the janitor finds them and he's like oh i know what i heard this morning some boots come down the chute i bet it's full of evidence and i'm gonna get you arrested and he's like not completely serious he doesn't actually think she killed him but the little girl gets so serious goes give me those shoes in such so much intensity the guy's just like oh my god you really killed the boy i was screwing around (laughs) you're serious so that that was my wow reference that (laughs) wasn't that great anyway bitches say what she runs off and ignatia follows witches say but witches say but 
Chapter 41, Luna approaches Antane and she hears him say, the witch is coming. She thinks he's near Xan and she hurries, though Xan's sending her psychic warnings to turn around. Glurk and Firion continue to hurry, though Firion's unable to fly and his transformation is making him barfy. Mm -hmm. Okay, the mad woman senses where the action's going down and she heads that way, summoning her paper birds. Chapter 42, everyone watches as Antane confronts Luna. He announces an intent, his intention to kill her, thinking she's the witch, and he pounces. And the mad woman sets her paper birds on him for the second time ever. Chapter 43. And Dane goes down hard, protecting himself from the birds. He drops the knife, and Luna kicks it away. Luna promises the birds won't hurt him. Then Luna takes in the mad woman and recognizes her from all her drawings. Antane recognizes her too, and he's amazed that she's escaped the tower. He, she apologizes to him for the bird attack, but hey, he's had a good life, right? And Antane's like, uh, kinda? It was good until we had to sacrifice our baby to the witch. Then everything comes together. Luna's memories all click into place, and she tells Antane she's no witch and has never taken babies. She takes the injured swallow from him, and she transforms Zan back to her true form. Zan collapses. Chapter 44. Z uh, Zuna. <laughs> Luna feeds Zan moonlight. Then Zan spots the mad woman and correctly deduces that she's Luna's mother. Zan apologizes for never investigating why babies were left in the clearing, for letting families suffer needlessly. Luna realizes the abandoned babies are the star children. Ben is glory? That's a, a, a Buffy reference. Okay. Um, Antine's confused. So, if the witch didn't order the sacrifices, who did? And right on cue, here's the sorrow eater. Chapter 45. Antine is shocked that Ignatius the villain. While she villain monologues and banters with Zan, Luna looks inside of Ignatia and sees that her magic is depleting. Everyone calls Ignatia out as a sorrow eater, and she's like, no, you. <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm right, though. <laughs> no! It's like coming down her face. Luna gets to the pearly heart of Ignatia, which is full of sorrow, and she cracks it open. Ignatia is suddenly overwhelmed by her own past pain, and she collapses crying. Then Firion comes flying in, having finally figured out flying, and scoops up the sorrow eater and wants to kill her since she killed his mom! Everyone stops him, and then the volcano starts really getting serious. They need to get out of there, so Firion flies Glurk and the Sorrow Eater out, and the Mad Woman picks up Xan and has Antane and Luna get on her back and run them out. She must be strong as F. Because <laughs> Antane's a grown man. <laughs> okay. Chapter 46. Back at the Protectorate, everyone's running in a panic. Because, you know, volcano. Uh, Xan and Luna combine their magic, and they cover the Protectorate with bubbles, uh, saving them from the volcanic blast. Afterward, no one's died, but there's hella ash everywhere. All the elders are thrown in prison. The roads are open for traffic, and everything's pretty nice. Uh, Zan and the Sorrow Eater are put in the hospital wing, where they're rapidly aging and dying. Luna does some investigating around town and finds out her mother is named Adara, and so we can stop calling her the Mad Woman. Luna, Ethine, and Adara visit Garland in prison. They tell him that he can come out if he apologizes. He won't, so he stays there and rots. Luna flies to the free cities on Firion's back and tells them the true origins of the Star Children. Lots of Star Children come to the Protectorate to meet their birth families. While listening to the joy out of the window, Xan dies telling Luna she loves her. And that's when I cried. But um, it's revealed that Ethine mm -hmm. 
I, I'm so mad that I didn't write that down. But it's right here. The so chapter disgusting. started chapter 38, right? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. When Ethine was a little girl, her mother told her yeah. story after a story about the witch in the woods. Yeah. And that's why she went into the protect the, the um, sisters of the, I already can't remember what Sisters of the star. Sisters of the star. She goes in there and is just like, okay, what's going on here? Right. And like dejected enough, like, okay, I see what's happening. And then she left. So there are, there are three storytellers. There's her mom for most of them. There's Luna for one. And then the last one. Last one? Which... Question mark? <laughs> um, I think it's someone, like, way in the future. Because it sounds, it makes it sound like Luna's already pretty established. All this action happening here. That's why my notes are a little bit more spotty. Because I just set the yeah. book down and just, or set the, the notebook down and just started reading. So, doesn't Furion make a reference to dragons being under the volcano? Either literally or figuratively? Maybe. I think he says something like that. And that was another thing that question like, most of the stuff ends up being clear as to whether or not it's literal or figurative in this story. And so I was like, is there actually, like, a colony of dragons, like, right under him the whole time? Is he going to go live with all his family of dragons? Or is it just, like, their way of explaining what happens with a volcano and he's just referring to, like... Well, there's all these people that live down there. And, like, they have, like, whole cities and stuff. And it turns out that it's actually just, like... <laughs> you. <laughs> I didn't say it to Josh. I was looking at a book I hate, which is Tunnels. I really enjoy sections where they play around with language a little bit that gets me to understand language in a new way. At one point, some of the other elders are chastising Gerland because of Antane being a rabble rouser. And they say the rabble rouser is part of your family. Uh, not Antine, um, Ethine. Uh, this rabble rouser is part of your family, and there she is, out there, rousing the rabble. The rabble had already been roused before she got there. And, like, I had always known the phrase rabble rouser, but I hadn't, like, parsed it and, uh-huh. and just been like, oh, okay. So there's a rabble, <laughs> which is the people, and then there's the rousing. Okay. I see what you're Look at doing. <laughs> Glurk. I don't have time for this. Glurk. No, you need to... The mountain's on fire! <laughs> what? <laughs> he just yells it like the mountain's on fire. No, it's not. No more than... <laughs> I don't know how to be more clear than this. The mountain is... It's on fire! <laughs> it's right there. We're both like gesturing emphatically <laughs> to where a volcano could possibly be, but really it's just Barbies. Yeah, and then everything happens. Yeah, it's everything happens. Literally, it's just like... It's like we built up, built up, built up, and then most... Yeah. And it's all coming together. God, I gestured so much I made my shirt on button. That sounds sexier than what happened. It's on my sleeve. It's the cuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now I need to double check. No, we're good. Do like a Hulk pop. (laughs) (laughs) I want to do like more like Superman. Like, and I got like my costume underneath. I go, here we go. Like, what are you going to do? I don't know. Get a snack, maybe. (laughs) It's Snack Woman (laughs) with her power of anxiety. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Whatever. So. Towards the end of the book, it starts becoming more clear that the theme of the story is love. And that sounds cheesy, but it works pretty well for the most part. And family, when Zan, like, when Zan's health is getting worse, Luna, like, says to her mom, like, I need to go be with my grandmother. Yeah, and that's she's kind of hurt by that, but she goes, my love isn't divided, it's multiplied. Multiplied, which is re- a really cool way of... It's a it's such a beautiful express, expression of it, and particularly for um, I've known people who were adopted. Yeah, and that's exactly. It's not like you have a limited amount of love that you can right. only have. Like you can love your birth parents and your. I knew a girl particularly. Uh, she was 
I don't think I don't think she ever went to look for her birth parents. She was adopted from Russia, so that's going to be a bigger enterprise to try and track down. Right. And plus, there'd be a language barrier. Yeah. But uh, she said she really resented when people said like, "Oh, are you ever going to look for your real mom?" She goes, "What do you mean real? People who raised me are real." Growing up as an only child, I could I had a really hard time understanding this concept because I would think of like somebody has more than one kid. Oh, the first one wasn't good enough. You know, like, and then, and then I would think about it as division. And then as I got older, I was like, oh no, it's just, you give your entire heart to each one of them. It just, it, it's just infinite. You, well, you if can... you're a good parent. Right. I've heard some parents say they have a favorite child and I was like, you're a shitty person. Bye. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Actually, there was one woman I kind of knew or like, I, I like went to, wait, when I went to school, I knew... Screw it. Anyway, I knew a woman who had... Screw it, I'm 33. Kids, and she clearly and she clearly kind of preferred her uh, her son. So, like, I'd always make a point of bringing up how cool I thought her daughter was. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of helped a little bit. Plus, yeah. plus, I don't know, like, I don't think it was that she didn't like her daughter. It's just more like, I think she was one of those people, and I'm like that as well. Small children are so boring. Oh my god, they are so dull and... They're just impossible to try and be around because they're just in everything. Like, I'm not charmed by babies or small children, but when kids get a little older, they're funner. So maybe you do like the older kid a little bit more, but it's not anything personal. It's just he's easier to talk to because he's older. And then like the littler one is just like, oh, you're bringing nothing. You're just sitting there drooling. I can understand a similar thing where if your personalities just align better or your interests like... You know, maybe you're really into sports and then you have one kid that's really into sports and one that's really not. It doesn't mean that you love them any less if you're a good parent. It just means that you you interact with them differently. Yeah. And you have to you have to you may have to work a little bit harder to find common ground and stuff, with but you're kid, yeah. you're working for that because you love them just as much as you love the other one. Yeah. And so at the very end of the chapter, Luna goes to say goodbye to Zan and she says, I love you, Grandmama. I know, darling, Zan wheezed. I love and she drifted away, loving everything. This is freaking good. <laughs> I know. That's, what, that's when I was like, this might have to be five stars. <laughs> this will probably have to be a five-star book. And I think I'm still maintaining that. I'm I'm still, like, if I had to, it, if I broke it down further, I'd be like four and a half is what I would still be at. But it's still solidly within the top three of what we've read. I, think, I feel like four and three quarters. But it's really close to five, so I may as well just have it. At five. Plus, with only having a one to five star thing, like a, a nine or a ten becomes a five star by that logic. So it's like, which is why I try to be more hesitant at giving out five stars because then I, all of a yeah, sudden it's that's, like. That's why I was like, this is solid four, a solid four. But then I got to that yeah. part and I was like, it's going to have to be five. Yeah. I'm going to have to. It's, it it's so frustrating looking through like Goodreads and everybody's just like, I enjoyed it five stars. I'm like, that's not how this works. Yeah. Right? I can enjoy plenty of things that are three stars because the point is that the five should be five, something to... Five is when I give things that, like, really touch me or, mm-hmm. like, I was entertained throughout. There was no, never any, like, what, like, moment or anything. But mostly just, like, a personal connection that's... Yeah, usually... You, you can't... That's not easy. Yeah. Like, if you look at my Goodreads reviews... Yeah. Um, I kind of hover in the three to four category mostly. I yeah. don't hand out two or ones very often because I think I'm pretty good at, I'm at the point now where I, I know I'm not going to like something, yeah, so I don't read yeah. it. People ask if I enjoyed something, I'd be like, yeah, it was pretty good. And then they get the idea that I just like everything I read. It's like, no, I just know what I'm I know going what to I like. like. Right. I've read thousands of books 
over the years, I'm Same. going to be able yeah. to figure out just by the first couple of chapters whether or not it, some enough of it is going to click for me. Or the Sometimes synopsis. even or, as the synopsis yeah. or just a sample what the writing's going to be mm-hmm. like, where I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm out. Like, yeah. So when I... Plus, I don't finish a lot of stuff. Like, yeah. If I'm, I was like, I'm just, this isn't happening, life's too short, and I just close it and right. move on. That's the big thing for me with television is, like, people will say, like, you know, oh, the first season's kind of rocky, it gets better after that. It's like, with how many things there are to experience in life, I don't have time to watch a mediocre season right. in the hopes that it will then click better. for me later. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a perfect first season or first episode, but it has to have enough hooks in me already to mm-hmm. justify it. I've quit so many, like, after one episode where I'm just like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, if I'm not intrigued by it. Like, it doesn't have to be instantly like, okay, strap in, here we go. Yeah. But I have to at least, I don't know, like where we're going. Yeah. I have to have questions, or I have to have a character that I want to follow at least a little bit further. There or... haven't been very many shows where I saw the first episode and was like, I'm I'm in, I'm in, here we go. And like, if, only one I can think of is Veronica Mars, where I saw the first episode, I was like, this was brilliant, okay, right. here I go. Yeah, and then that first season is just as close to TV perfection as you can get. Yeah, I'm trying to remember, even the shows that I absolutely adore often took me a little bit. Like, I don't... Well, I liked Buffy. Well, Buffy came out, I was 11, so that's kind of different. Yeah. Even, like, Breaking Bad, which I think is phenomenal, the first few episodes for me, I was like, all right, it's pretty cool. And then somewhere along the line, it just, it clicks. Um, So yeah, Mm -hmm. a lot lot of times that'll happen. Yeah, I kind of, like, duck, like, I'd, like, like, duck in on Buffy when I was, like, 11 or 12, and was just like, oh, okay, whatever. It wasn't until I was, like, in high school and revisited it when yeah. I was, like, 17 or 18. It was when I was like, this show rocks. Right. So, yeah. 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 I remember even, like, not loving even the first episode of Firefly and just being like, I'm not sure I get the hype. Oh, and then see, I, I was sold because I was like, this is so different from anything I've seen before. It was, yeah. What but then I, I watched a little bit more and I was like, I get the hype. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got, like, better pretty fast. Okay. I don't know if you've seen the show. I don't know if you have any feelings about it, but I I will die on the hill that the first episode of Lost is one of the best ways to start off a TV show ever. It was. It is mm-hmm. astounding. I, I watched that whole first <laughs> season and then was so angry by, like, nothing being... Not even approaching, a, uh, like, right. anything right. of this solution. And I was like... Yeah. F the show. It's Regardless of how you feel about what happens after, I know a lot of people I turned was so, off. So I was so pulled that, in that, for that. For, that's, that is, yes. Yeah. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Die on that hill because you're right. That was, it was so engaging. And like the freaking polar bear, they're like, what? And like the plane, like all of it is just, it was, yes, I'm getting like excited about Lost again. Just because that first episode was so, and plus, uh, how old? I was like 18, yeah. so I was like the most excited, one of the most excited right. ages, so I was just like, oh my god, and I only watched it because Dominic Monaghan was going to be in it, <laughs> and I had a huge crush on him because I loved, I loved the Hobbits and the Lord of the Rings, so yeah. Should we just get, there's only two chapters left, let's hurry up and Yeah, give me this. Give me the end. Okay, so chapter 47. Okay, <laughs> this is where I started giving up on my notes. <laughs> Okay, I go, uh, this one's too poetic for me. Zan dies and Glurk takes her to the bog, but they're talking to each other. Josh is the creative writing major, so maybe he gets it, but apparently you don't. So, uh, Glurk left behind a poem for Luna when they can't find Zan's body. Luna folds the poem into a paper bird and sends it flying into the world because the world is good. 
So then, uh, chapter 48, new story. It's about their friendly witch who became magic as a baby and claims the people to protect her as her own. And then um, I'm going to read the last paragraph because it's pretty. Once upon a time, the witch received a poem from the Beast of the Bog. Perhaps it was the poem that made the world. Perhaps it was the poem that will end it. Perhaps it's something else entirely. All I know is that the witch keeps it safe in a locket under her cloak. She belongs to us, but one day her magic will fade and she'll wander back into the bog and we won't have a witch anymore. Only stories. Perhaps she'll find the beast, or become the beast, or become the bog, or become a poem, or become the world. They're all the same, you know. I think that that last chapter, I think that was Ethine herself talking to the kid about a decade later. I think it makes sense for time to pass. And I think it's great to parallel the horrific stories that she was told. And then her growing up and being like, this is not the world that it has to be. I'm not engendering fear in you. Yeah. And so she teaches her kid love and intelligence and all of these great things. And so that's a really cool parallel. I still think she was stretching too much with the bog, the poet, the world, the glurk, the whatever. I think the... When he takes Xan away, I think it's effectively the Greyhaven scene at the end of Lord of the Rings. Okay. I think it's taking... I don't fully get that either. It's... it's <laughs> Right, it's... I'm sorry, I'm so not... Okay, in Lord of the Rings, the Greyhavens is the undying lands where... The elves go. Yeah. It's not death. It's, it's like... It's almost like getting to heaven without having death. And so for this, I think it's a way of almost like putting her magic back into... Like that that's how the magic cycles okay. is she she was magic, she used her magic, and now she goes back to where all the magic came from at the start. So I think that's what she was getting at there. I still think, especially with it being personified with Glurk and did it, it didn't Yeah, it didn't that's click. why I was that yeah, I was just that kind of was, confused. If she took out one or two of those layers, I think maybe it would have been stronger. Right. Yeah. I'm just not poetically minded, so I just Right. So that's why I kind of like, I was just kind of looking at like, I think this is just my fault for not getting it. So that's why it's like, okay. that's, let's, that's why I'm let's, like, okay. Josh Let's it. take one, one short little attempt to try and break this down. So we have the beast, the bog, the poem, the world. Mm-hmm. There was the bog, the bog created the beast. The beast was the poet who created the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. I think if you take out the beast, it works better. I think if you just don't have a personification of, of the bog and of the bog and of the creation of the world if it's all just this abstract cycle of yeah. birth and death and see i would understand energy. that yeah like, i was having him there as soon as you throw glurk into it i don't think it works as well i like glurk as a character i don't i, do I don't think he works for that i can understand yeah. him being tied to the cycle somehow but i don't yeah. understand making him the cycle right it doesn't work as well but the rest of it's pretty strong yeah. And the the core feelings that it engages with, great. The writing, almost uniformly excellent. Glad there's no sequel. Now I'm doubly glad that I've got an autographed copy of this book. That was The Girl Who Drank the Moon by Kelly Barnhill. And it earned its Newberry Medal. Yeah, definitely. Didn't Think About Jellyfish have something? Book, um, book it award? was a National Book Award finalist. And wasn't Dollbones also a finalist or something? Um, I, I didn't have that on my book. Okay. I think you might have yeah. Because I think I remember us remarking on it. I was like, I didn't have that on so my book. So I feel book. like if it's a finalist, it's guaranteed to be good. If it's a winner, there's like a 50-50. <laughs> <laughs> like, damn it, I don't want to read about horses. <laughs> right? It's horses and wars. Horses and wars. Horses. Okay. Wars. Or a war horse. <laughs> 
Which is, is exists. Yes. I can't say the word exists. Um, so, next episode, we are going to be uh, trying something new. We're going to be reading a graphic novel, specifically Ghosts by Raina Telgemeier. Yeah. And so that'll be interesting, especially, you know the motto, is not a visual medium. Right. And there's a lot of pictures, because it's yeah. a graphic novel. But I have listened to several successful podcasts that talk about comics, so I don't think it'll be too big of an issue. Yeah. We've been talking about that for a while. Like, should we do a... Yeah. And then it became more serious when I think I reviewed... Uh, I didn't reviewed. I just gave a star rating to um, that this that one summer. This one summer? Yeah. One summer. By the Tanaki sisters? Yeah. I, and, and I really I, like that one. Oh, God. It's so good. I was, I was like, reading it and, like, like, was halfway through. I was like, this would have been a really good podcast book. I wish we had done that. I don't know. But yeah. now, now we've got one that we're going to give a shot. Yeah, so we're going to do that, and then uh, I think we've mentioned it before, but after that will be one year from when we did Fablehaven, so we will be tackling the sequel. I have that somewhere. And then after that, I have no idea what we're doing, but that's okay. We got lots well, of options. Some, yeah, there are a few options here that I have stacked. Mars picked out about a half dozen possibilities over the last little bit, and so... Well, since mo- like, most of my picks have been pretty successful. <laughs> that's why we're like, yeah, okay, <laughs> let's, see what, let's see what Mars says. I mean, I think the view from Saturday was my suggestion, and it I, that was kind of a dud, so. Didn't I suggest Dollbones? Nope, I did, because I already owned it. Didn't I suggest the thing about jellyfish? Nope, I did. I have tunnels. I know. <laughs> That's why you're not picking the books for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I'm grounded from choosing. Anyway. It just this, goes to show that you know what I like better than I know what I like. This is the Blaine podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Hello Fellow Kids is hosted by Mara and Josh and produced by Josh. Music provided by Ben Ash. Visit him at benash.com if you want to contact us, hfkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter, hfkpodcast. We are now also on Goodreads. It's either hfkpodcast or Hello Fellow Kids. It's one of the two. I haven't seen it. (laughs) Spread the word. Tell your friends. Pester your parents. Yeah, maybe listen on iTunes. Yeah. Because that's pretty pathetic. (laughs) Five minutes. Five minutes. We got five minutes on iTunes. And I wonder if that was someone like clicked on it accidentally and went, oh, this is what I meant. <laughs> and like left. At least I hope that's what happened. That's better than like listening for five and being like, this is terrible. Anyway, bye. Bye.